All right, so after Jesus fed 10,000 plus people by miraculously multiplying the five loaves of bread and two fish the next morning, many that were in the crowd that had gotten, that were fed the night before, well, they got up and their stomachs are growling and they're hungry again. And so what did they do? We found this out last week. They went on a diligent search for the Lord Jesus Christ. Later in that day, they found him in Capernaum. Capernaum, the town that the the Lord moved to from Nazareth, um, and he made Capernaum his home, and he made Capernaum um, the base of his ministry. Why? Well, um, they kicked him out of Nazareth. I don't know if you remember that story, but also because Capernaum was on a major trade route. And so a lot more people going through Capernaum than Nazareth. And not only that, um, if you ever go with us to Israel, uh, we'll talk about this, but it's right there at the top of the Sea of Galilee. And I don't know if you knew this, but on the left side of the Sea of Galilee, the west side, that in Jesus' day was primarily Jewish. On the right side of the Sea of Galilee in Jesus' day, that's primarily Gentile. What a perfect spot for Jesus to set up his ministry headquarters because how many of you guys know Jesus didn't just come for the Jews, he also came for the Gentiles, he came for the entire world. Okay, so he sets up his ministry headquarters and he lives in Capernaum. And so the crowd found him and they said, Rabbi, when did you come here? And the Lord, in classic Jesus fashion, got straight to the point. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. All right, so when we read Jesus' response, it is very clear that the crowd wasn't seeking him because they saw the sign of him miraculously multiplying the loaves and fish, and that led them to believe that he's the Messiah, and now they want to follow him. <laughs> no way. No, what's happening is the crowd, the crowd's seeking the Lord because the miraculous sign led them to believe that he can give us some more free food, and he can lead us on a revolt against the Roman Empire. You see, ladies and gentlemen, the crowd thought that the kingdom was about using Jesus to get what they wanted in the material realm. How many of you guys know that there's some churches in America and that's what it's all about? That's why people are seeking Jesus, because they wanna use Jesus to get what they want in the material realm. And Jesus saw right through their wrong motive and he called them out. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ did not come into the world so that he can give us everything that we want, materialistically speaking. Jesus Christ came into the world to give us the free gift of salvation, to fill the void that all of us have in our lives. And then, after we meet him and we're saved, he came to change us from the inside out so that we would live lives that glorify God. That's why he came. That's why he came. And so we should praise him for why he came. 
Jesus' response to the crowd led to a debate with the crowd. And this debate was actually a discourse, and the discourse is called the bread of life discourse. It most likely started outside somewhere there in Capernaum, but according to verse 59, it ended inside the synagogue in Capernaum. Now, as I've shared with you before, I've been there now five times, and that synagogue that you're looking at um, is from the fourth century AD. But below that synagogue are the remains of a synagogue from the first century AD. So if there's only one synagogue in Capernaum, right now you are looking at the rocks from the building where Jesus gave his bread of life discourse, the very words that we're studying here for the last two weekends. And that to me is absolutely amazing, ladies and gentlemen. The rocks are crying out in Israel that everything in this book is true. And so regarding himself, Jesus said by way of review to the crowd in verse 33, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives his life to the world. Then he said in verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Last week in this bread of life discourse, we made it all the way through verse 40. So guess what verse we're starting on right now? 41. Okay, so welcome to Calvary Chapel, where we go verse by verse, uh, at least 95% of the time. All right, so right now, if you're looking at John 6, verse 41, say amen. amen. So the Jews grumbled. All right, and by the way, when it says Jews there, it's not talking about all Jews, because there were thousands of Jews in the first century that believed Jesus was their Messiah and Lord and Savior. Just want to clarify that. So the Jews grumbled about him, the unbelieving Jews, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? And so the crowd heard the claims that Jesus made, and they're like, time out, wait a minute. We know your parents, Joseph and Mary, a few hills over, over in Nazareth. How can you say that you came down from heaven? Now what this crowd didn't know or perhaps some of them had heard about it but rejected it, is that Joseph, and by the way, Joseph, by the way, uh, scholars believe he recently passed away before what we're reading right here. Um, But what this crowd didn't know, or maybe some of them heard and rejected it, was that Jesus was not the biological son of Joseph. And that Mary, when she gave birth to Jesus, was a virgin. And so what did the Lord mean when he said he had come down from heaven? Well, he's speaking about his incarnation, right? So what does the word incarnation mean? Well, we are always grateful for the website, Got Questions. If you haven't heard about it, I highly recommend it. It's a great resource for any of your questions about Christianity, uh, the Bible, and a lot of life questions as well. 
Uh, but the word incarnation simply means the act of being made flesh. And so we learn in John 1, verse 1 and 14, that God became flesh and dwelt among us. And we learn from Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 7, that God emptied himself. Now listen, he did not empty himself of his divine attributes. That would be impossible. He emptied himself of his divine privileges. And he took on the form of a servant. And he was born in the likeness of men. Those are two vital verses. I would encourage you to memorize those passages. And by the way, Listen to this, he is the eternal son of God. I emphasize eternal, please everybody say the word eternal. Eternal, because that word will separate what the cults believe about Jesus and what Christians believe about Jesus. And so while the crowd was complaining about his claim that he had come down from heaven, it says in verse 43 that Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and now he's quoting from Isaiah 54, 13. And they will all be taught by God. And then Jesus said, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. All right, so let's think about this. The Lord said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Okay, so why is it that a lost person cannot come to Christ and be saved unless the Father who sent the Son draws that person by the Holy Spirit of God? Well, David and Paul gave us the answer in the Bible. Davis, David told us, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in, what's the word? Sin. Did my mother conceive me? Paul elaborates on that in the New Testament. And he said, just as, what's the word? Sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all have sinned. Ladies and gentlemen, contrary to what the secular humanists will teach you, contrary to what our state universities are teaching our children or our grandchildren, man is not inherently good. Man is inherently bad. If you don't believe what I'm saying, take Pastor Ethan up on his offer, sign up and go serve with our toddlers. Because what you'll find out is as soon as one toddler takes a toy from another toddler, you're gonna to be breaking up a fight. Why, because someone taught them that? No, because in sin did our mothers conceive us. Thank you very much, Adam. <laughs> but nonetheless, what I'm saying is true. And so because all humans were conceived in sin, having received a sin nature from the first man, Adam, all unbelievers are dead dead spiritually. That's Ephesians 2.1. And not only that, nobody can come to Christ and be saved unless the Father draws them by the Holy Spirit. 
What does that mean? That means we need some help. And so regarding this, the post-Nicene church father, John Chrysostom, said this. This expression does not remove our part in the coming, but rather shows that we need, what's the word? Help. We need some help (laughs) to come. So what does God do? Does he, like our extreme Calvinist friends, does he regenerate us, give us the new birth so that we can believe? No. No, with all due respect, that's not taught in the Bible at all. Ladies and gentlemen, God does not regenerate us so we can believe. He draws us, and when we believe, then we're born again. So what does God do? How does God help us? Well, Paul told us in Romans chapters one and two. Everybody, and I mean everybody, even the guy on the island that everybody's always talking about. Everybody has the witness of creation without and the witness of conscience within. Everybody has the witness of creation without. That means you go outside and you look around and you realize something cannot come from nothing. Okay, so what we gotta understand is that everything that has a beginning had a cause. Something can't come from nothing. Okay, so what does that mean? Everything that has a beginning has a cause. We talked about this last week. The universe had a beginning. Therefore, the universe had a cause. You cannot have an infinite regress of causes and effect. There has to be a first cause. And that first cause is the eternal uncaused cause, the great I am, the self-existent one, the Lord God Almighty. Everybody has the witness of creation without. And everybody has the witness of conscience within. Even lost people, when they do wrong, there's a twinge. There's guilt. What is that? That's the moral law within, Romans chapter two. It's inside, God puts it inside of everybody. And ladies and gentlemen, if there's a moral law within, there must be a moral law giver. Everybody has the witness of creation without. Everybody has the witness of conscience within. And we also know from the scripture that God our savior desires how many people? All people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, I don't know if that excites you, but that excites me because that gives us a a, a glimpse into the heart of the Father who loves the world and he wants all people to be saved. Ladies and gentlemen, let me ask you something. Does that excite you about God? Yes or no? If it does, let him know. He's a good God. Stop blaming God for everything. It's not his fault, it's our fault. We're the ones who blew it. So what does the Father do? Because he wants everybody to be saved. He uses the witness of creation without. He uses the witness of conscience within. And he knows when, just at the right time, he knows when to draw by his Holy Spirit. And he draws men, women, teenagers, boys and girls to his son by his Holy Spirit through the sharing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Please know this, by the way, that God doesn't drag the unwilling, he draws the willing. Okay? So if somebody says, when the Holy Spirit's drawing them, no to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, God is not gonna drag somebody kicking and screaming into the kingdom of God. The post-Nicene church father Augustine said, think not that thou or you are drawn against your will. The mind can be drawn by what? Love. And it really is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. But the world has sold us a a lie about the nature of God. Look at verse 46. Jesus continues. He said, not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. I think it's obvious that he's talking about himself, the Son. All right, so question. When did the Son see the Father? Answer. Before his incarnation, before he came down from heaven, when he and the Father were being glorified by the angels, John chapter 17, we'll get there in about five years, okay? But that's when the Son saw the Father. Ladies and gentlemen, the Son and the Father are one. The Son is of the same substance as the Father, as the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. He says in verse 47, truly, and by the way, this is one of those big, big, big verses, like almost as big as John 3, 16, probably as big. So if you're looking at John 6, 47, say amen here. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever, and I want you to shout out the word. Whoever believes, has eternal life. Now, we're talking about the difference between heaven and hell here. So does anybody think this is important? Yes or no? Okay, so it's very important that we understand what the word believe means in its biblical context. And so praise God for resources like the Vines Expository Dictionary. And so in the original language, in its biblical context, the word believe means to be persuaded of and hence to place confidence in, to trust, to have reliance upon, not mere credence. Okay, so the phrase not mere credence carries with it the idea of not just mental assent. True faith in Jesus Christ has to go beyond mental assent to personal trust. Oh, I hope you're getting this. I hope you're listening. I hope you're not thinking about Outback right now. (laughs) True faith in Christ has to go beyond mental assent to personal trust. For example, here we have a chair, all right? And so when differentiating between mental assent and true biblical belief, let's think about the chair for a moment. I can stand here and I can give mental assent that this chair exists. I can even give mental assent that I believe this chair has the ability and is strong enough to hold people up. 
But am I really believing in the biblical sense in the chair by just giving mental assent? Yes or no? No. It's not until I come over here and I personally sit down. I'm so glad that didn't just fall. Okay, it's not until I personally sit down in the chair that I have shown that I believe in the chair. It is not until I personally sit down in the chair that I have shown, that I have confidence in, that I rely upon, that I trust in this chair to carry my entire weight. Okay? So, you say, why are you so passionate, Pastor? Here's why. Because there's thousands of so-called Christians that are in churches, and they're just giving mere credence, and they're lost. They've never been born again. And so it's very important that we get this. And I want you to look at verse 40. Jesus said in verse 40, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and, shout out the word, believes. What does that mean? Confidence in, reliance upon, personal trust in him should have eternal life. And now go down, please, to verse 47 again. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever, shout out the word, believes, has eternal life. Now, ladies and gentlemen, those two verses for the rest of our message, they are gonna be the key verses that are gonna be used to define the metaphor that Jesus is gonna use between verses 50 and verses 58. All right, so we'll start in verse 48. Please look at verse 48. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This, pointing at himself, I'm sure, this is the bread that comes down from heaven. By the way, he says that five times. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may, what's the word there? Eat, there's your metaphor. May eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone, what's the word? There's your metaphor. Eats of this bread, he will live forever. All right, so let's think about this. Recap, the Lord said, I am the bread of life. The Lord said five times, I have come down from heaven. And then the Lord says, anyone who eats this bread, he will live forever. So here's the vital question. What did he mean when he said, eat this bread? There's the answer right there. Eat of this bread is a metaphor for believe, confidence in, personal reliance upon, personal trust in Jesus Christ. You say, how do you know for sure? Look at verse 40. For this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. Look at verse 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Look at verse 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Ladies and gentlemen, it is so clear, it is so obvious that Jesus is using the word eat as a metaphor for personal faith. And what does he do? He points to his sacrifice 
that he would soon make. Again, please look at the end of verse 51. He says, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Regarding this, Chuck Swindoll said, people must appropriate Christ's sacrifice through belief. As the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he would become the sacrifice of atonement, which would pay the penalty of sin on behalf of the whole world. Now, I want, you, I want us to think about this for a moment. When you walk into your dining room this afternoon and you see a loaf of bread on the table, and it's okay to talk back to me, okay? Did you guys know it's okay to say amen in church? It's okay to clap in church. It's okay to say hallelujah in church, okay? Um, and if you're an introvert like me, sometimes that makes you a little uncomfortable, right? But, but at least you could do that a little bit. Okay, all right, so when you walk into your dining room and you see a loaf of bread on the table, do you just give mental assent that is there? You know, I believe that a loaf of bread is on the table and then walk away. Is that what you do, yes or no? No. no. Do you just give mental assent that, you know, I, 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 I really think that that bread tastes really good and then walk away? Is that what you do, yes or no? No. When you see a loaf of bread on the table, you eat it. <laughs> That's what you do. And it goes inside of you and it provides physical nourishment. Ladies and gentlemen, just as bread, i.e. food, is necessary for physical life, so the bread of life, Jesus Christ, putting your faith, your confidence, your reliance, your trust in him personally is absolutely necessary for spiritual eternal life. Christ. And Christ alone. And so, look again at verse 51 because it's such an important verse. He says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats, metaphor, of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. All right, question. And it's okay to talk back to me. When you see Jesus, the bread of life, who gave his life on the cross, do you just give mental assent of what he did? You know, I acknowledge that a man named Jesus died on a Roman cross 2,000 years ago and walk away. Is that what you do, yes or no? No. Do you just give mental assent that what he did was good? You know, that was so nice of him. What a guy. And walk away, yes or no? No. No, you gotta go beyond that. You've got to, everybody look at me, you've got to eat the bread of life for yourself. And what is eat a metaphor for? In the context, it's a figure of speech. And it means, once again, that you need to make a decision for yourself personally to turn to Jesus Christ in genuine repentance and faith. That means that you need to believe in, you need to have confidence in, you need to rely upon, you need to trust in Jesus and his atoning work on the cross for yourself. And that 
And that is when the Holy Spirit of God will come inside of you. And you will have a relationship with Jesus. But please do not stop there. Please do not stop at just getting saved. That's wonderful. That's great. Praise God, right? But here's what I want to tell you today. The Lord wants to continue to provide spiritual nourishment that you need every day for the rest of your life. What does that mean? That means you need to keep eating. You need to keep putting your confidence in. You need to keep relying upon. You need to keep trusting in the bread of life, Jesus, every single day. And as you do that, you will keep growing spiritually. During their wilderness wanderings, the children of Israel woke up every single day and they came out of their tents, right? And it's like, wow, what a beautiful day. Shalom, shalom, right? And they saw it. Every single day for 40 years, God's gift of manna. And every single day, they had the choice. We can either go out there and we can bend down and we can scoop up the gift of God and we can eat it so that it provides the physical nourishment we need for that day. Or we can just say, ah, I'm so sick of that stuff and walk away. Now, as children of God, we have the same choice every single day. Every single day, ladies and gentlemen, when we wake up, we have a choice. We can choose to get alone with God. We can choose to get away from everybody, get up a little early. I'm talking every single day. We can choose to get up a little early and get alone with God and we can choose to humble ourselves and kneel and bow down before the bread of life and we can quote unquote scoop up the gift of God. What does that mean? That means that we can declare every single morning our utter dependence upon Jesus Christ for that day and we can through opening, actually opening the word of God and pouring through his pages because man does not live by bread alone but by everything every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And we can feed, quote unquote, on this word every single day and receive the spiritual nourishment that we need for that day. Or we can say, eh, and rush out, drinking our coffee, flying off to do a hundred million things, ignoring the Lord. Now, if we choose to ignore the Lord, who's the loser? That's true. We are. But you know who else is the loser? That guy or that gal, that teenager, or maybe that boy or girl that God wanted to impact through your life and through my life. But because we said, eh, and we ignored the Lord, we don't have the spiritual nourishment that day to impact others. You know what I don't like about what church is becoming in America? I hate the consumer Christian attitude. In other words, I'm gonna come to church maybe twice a month and I'm gonna sit in a row and that AC better be cold enough and it better not be too hot. And this, those singers up there, they must be like, awesome if I'm coming back. And then you know what else? The preaching, it better entertain me or I'm gone, I'm out of here. And maybe they could wash my car too out there um, while I'm in, in church. And because you know I have this consumer attitude and it's all about me, myself, and I. 
hey, I have a message for you. Get over yourself. Get over yourself. It's not about take, 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 take. It's about give, 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 give. And if you and I choose every single day to get on our knees and scoop up the gift of God and receive the bread of life by praying and our dependence upon him and by reading the word of God and being filled with the Holy Spirit, ladies and gentlemen, hear me. When we are filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit, then the gift of God gets on other people around us and we are impacting their lives. We only have one life. It'll soon be passed, and we're going to be at the judgment seat of Christ. And I don't know about you, I want some crowns to honor him with and to throw at his feet. So let's stop playing church. Let's stop thinking it's all about us. Let's just stop getting in a row, and let's start doing what this church is all about. Let's start connecting. Let's start growing. Let's start investing by giving and serving. And let's not just do that on a weekend. Let's live it every single day. That's what being a Christian is about. And so it says in verse 52 that the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? I hate it when people twist the words of a preacher because they don't like the preacher. Purposely twisting his words. And so they're offended. But here's what I love about Jesus. He, did, he, he didn't say, oh, did I offend you? I'm sorry. No, he pressed this illustration even harder. And so what happens now in verse 53 so Jesus said to them, and I'm, I'm gonna read all the way through 59 because I want you to picture yourself in that synagogue 2,000 years ago. I just want you to get the flow of what Jesus says to these people. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. I can see people shaking their heads. I can see faces turning red. I can see heads exploding. For my flesh is true food, and my blood true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This, pointing to himself, I'm sure, this is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in what town? Capernaum. All right, so when we read these verses, it's very obvious that Jesus was not saying, hey everybody, I want you now to come on up front and I want you to take a bite out of my shoulder. Go ahead, I know it's gonna hurt. And I want you to drink my blood. Okay, so obvious, so obvious Jesus wasn't saying that. Hermeneutics 101. Hermeneutics means how do, you, how do you rightly handle the word of truth? How do you interpret the Bible? When the plain sense 
makes good sense. Seek no other sense, lest you get nonsense. When you're reading through, some of it's literal, but some of it, that's got to be figurative. That's got to be metaphorical. That is where we are right now. Jesus is not asking anyone to take a bite out of his shoulder. He's not asking anyone to literally drink his blood. And let me tell you also, he is not teaching about transubstantiation. You say trans of what? Roman Catholic doctrine teaches that when the priest consecrates the bread, that that bread is transformed into the actual body of Christ, even though it still looks like and tastes like bread. And when the priest consecrates the wine, that wine is transformed into the actual blood of Jesus Christ, even though it still looks and tastes like wine. The actual word transubstantiation was used for the first time in the 12th century AD. It was elaborated on in subsequent centuries and then it was included in the decrees of the Council of Trent in the 16th century AD. But ladies and gentlemen, there's a big problem. The problem is Jesus' words, eat and drink, are metaphors. Jesus' words, eat and drink, are metaphors for personal confidence, personal reliance upon, personal trust in him and his sacrifice on the cross for us. Regarding this, John MacArthur wrote, the eating of his flesh and drinking of his blood metaphorically symbolize the need for accepting Jesus' work on the cross. For about 10 years, from when I was seven or eight years old until I was 17 years old, every single week, as far as I can remember, I came down from my first Holy Communion Every weekend after that, for 10 years, I came down and I received communion. But ladies and gentlemen, here's what I can tell you from the bottom of my heart. I did not know Jesus. I did not have a relationship with Jesus. It wasn't until later when I finally understood what happened at the cross. When I finally believed, when I finally put my confidence in, my reliance upon, my personal trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he died as my substitute, that I should have been the one up on that cross, that the wages of sin is death, and I deserved eternal death or eternal separation from God in hell. Yes, when I finally admitted that I was lost and that I deserved hell, but that Jesus loved me so much, he came and he hung on the cross and he took the wrath of God against my sin into his body on the tree and he paid for my sin in full and then he died. When I truly repented, when I turned to Christ in repentance and faith, receiving him as a savior and Lord of my life, that is when the Holy Spirit of God came down inside of me and I began a relationship with Jesus. That's when I began a relationship with Jesus. And so, is communion important? 
Absolutely. Jesus commands it. He commands Christians to partake of communion. And we have it every first Thursday at 6.30 right here. But here's what you need to know. The elements are simply symbols for us to remember his great sacrifice for us. If you're listening to me right now, say amen here. They are signs of grace, not means of grace. They are signs of grace, not means of grace. Receiving communion does not confer grace upon you. Ladies and gentlemen, listen. The Holy Spirit of God doesn't need any material things to confer grace upon us. We're born again, if you are, and the Holy Spirit of God lives in you. That's all the grace you need. They're signs. And Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. As often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim my death until I come back. And so it is a memorial supper. But I want to emphasize that Jesus was speaking figuratively. Okay, when Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 7, I am the door, he didn't mean he was a literal door. When he said in John chapter 15, verse 1, I am the true vine, he didn't mean he was actually a vine. And when he said, I am the bread of life in our passage today, he didn't mean the bread of communion becomes his actual body. He's speaking figuratively. Verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before pre-existence of Jesus Christ? And by the way, there were some in that synagogue who would see his ascension. You can read about that later at the end of the Gospel of Luke, verse 63. He says, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit, that means they come from the Holy Spirit, and life, that means if you appropriate these gospel, the gospel promise, you're gonna receive eternal life. Verse 64, he says, but there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who would not believe or did not believe, and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by my father. And so after this, many of his disciples, disciples, quote unquote, turned back and no longer walked with him. Okay, so these disciples, quote unquote, they're following Jesus, but remember, they're following him because they want free food. They're not true disciples. And so if they were still in the synagogue, ladies and gentlemen, and I believe they were, this is a dramatic scene. Try to picture it in your mind's eye. There's Jesus 
standing room only. This synagogue is packed. They're pouring out the door. They're around trying to hear. There's people everywhere. Jesus is standing in the front. He's saying, I am the bread of life. He is saying, I'm come down from heaven. He says, anyone who eats of this bread uh, will live forever, right? He's saying all of these things to them and people are getting mad. People are getting offended. People are getting awkward. People are getting uncomfortable. By the way, did you know that it's okay every once in a while to be uncomfortable in church? Did you know that it's okay every once in a while for things to get awkward in church? Did you know that it's not my job every single week to come up here and just make you happy, happy, happy so that you can go out and be happy? That is not my job. And so here's the thing. This person over here, rich and prominent, walks out in a huff and this person's like, well, if he's leaving, I'm leaving and they leave and this person leaves and the whole place empties out except for Jesus and his 12 apostles. You think Jesus was concerned more about numbers or truth? Truth. Ladies and gentlemen, may this church never become a church that draws people by the flesh and we entertain you so that you'll come and this place will be packed full because people want to be entertained. That is not what we are about. We want you to get saved. We want you to get baptized. We want you to become lifelong followers of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. That's what we're called to do. And so... Look at verse 67. Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Whew, Jesus is tough today. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. God, and if I'm sitting in the back of that synagogue, I'm standing up and I'm like, Woo, Peter, you go, bro. Awesome. Yes. Why? Because somebody is finally getting it. Somebody's finally realizing what the gospel is all about. We praise God for this. And I got to believe Jesus is just like, yeah. But did you know Peter got one thing wrong? You see, Peter couldn't see into the hearts of men like Judas. And so, you know, he spoke for all the 12 apostles when he said in verse 69, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And so because Peter couldn't see into Judas's heart and Jesus could see into Judas's heart, Jesus has to set the record straight and so Jesus says in verse 70, did I not choose you, the 12, and yet one of you is a devil? And he spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. All right, so in verses 66 through 71, there are three responses that people had toward Jesus. First of all, we see the response of the crowds. We'll go back it up uh, to just the, the crowd. So what is the response of the crowd? And that is that the crowd forsook him. So we'll go back to where it just says the crowd forsook him. 
All right, so that's the first response. And so what is Jesus um, experiencing here? He's experiencing a crowd that has this attitude. Jesus, if you don't keep giving us free food, if you do not deliver us from the Roman Empire, if you do not meet what we want materialistically, we're out of here, see you later. And so the crowd forsook him. And I have a question for everybody. You answer in your heart. If Jesus doesn't meet your materialistic desires, are you gonna forsake Jesus? Are you gonna walk out on him? You see, regarding those who forsake Christ, John said this. John said, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. If someone forsakes Christ, we're talking about I no longer believe, I no longer trust, I no longer rely on, I no longer have confidence in Jesus Christ. I believe from verses like that, they were never saved to begin with. The Second response is the response of Judas. Judas was a fraud to him. Jesus said, by their fruits, you will know them. What was Judas's fruit? After Judas betrayed Jesus, he never repented. Peter says this about Judas, for he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry now this man acquired a field with a, the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all his bowels gushed out. Thanks for the positive message, Peter. <laughs> Woo, we feel good, don't we? Okay, so what's going on? Matthew tells us that Judas went out and hung himself. Okay, so we know that it takes the, a dead corpse three to five days to start to swell. And so you put... Matthew and Peter's words together, and here's the theory that Judas hung himself, and as, as he's hanging there for a long time, his bloated body either causes the rope to snap or the branch to break, and he falls down headlong, and when he hits the ground, his internal organs or his intestines pop out. By the way, this is why we have a children's ministry. <laughs> so they don't hear this kind of stuff. But you know what? Even though Judas was around Jesus and his teachings and around Jesus' disciples for almost three years, here's what he did. He absolutely hardened his heart against the Lord. Did you guys know that there's some people who are around Jesus, his teachings and his people, they're in church for years, and you know what they're doing inside? They're like, no, not yet, no, not today. No, I'm gonna wait. Man, if today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Come to Christ. Don't play church. Come to Christ in genuine repentance and faith. And last of all, we see the response of Peter. Peter was faithful to him. Okay, so by their fruits you will know him, know them. What was Peter's fruit? After he denied the Lord three times, Peter repented. That's what truly saved people do. 
and Jesus restored him to ministry. Peter, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep, and the rest is history. And so, in closing, as the ministry team comes forward, I wanna ask, have you eaten the bread of life? In other words, have you genuinely turned to Christ in real repentance and faith, receiving him as the Savior and Lord of your life? Have you done that? Have you come to the place where you realize that, man, you know, I'm a sinner and my sin is wrong. My sin offends God. The wages of sin is death. I deserve hell. You can't get saved till you realize you're lost. I'm changing my mind about my sin. My sin's wrong. Changing my mind about myself. There's no good work I can do to earn heaven. I'm changing my mind about the Savior. He's my only hope because he's the only one who paid for my sins on the cross and rose again the third day. And so I receive you, Jesus, as the Savior and Lord of my life. If you haven't done that, may today be the day. So after the closing prayer, after Ethan closes us out, as people are leaving, I know it takes courage, I know your flesh doesn't want to, but come forward and let one of these people on the ministry team know, hey, I, I don't know if I have a relationship with Jesus. And they would love to lead you to Christ. Hey, Christian, if you're here today and need to rededicate your life. Last week, we had a, a young man or woman, 18 years old, that came up afterwards and rededicated their lives to Christ, saying, I wanna do the right thing. We thank God for that, right? So, hey, if that's you, I know it's hard, I know it's awkward, I know your flesh doesn't want to, but as people are leaving, come. Pray with one of these people, say, I need to rededicate my life to Jesus Christ. And if you haven't been baptized since you received Jesus as your Savior and Lord, baptism does not come before belief, it's nowhere in the Bible, it's after you're saved. And I want you to uh, go to our website, um, and sign up because first Thursday, July 7th is coming and we would love to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as you go public with your faith. So you go to our website, you click on next steps, scroll down to I wanna be baptized. And then last but not least, if you're watching online and you want to turn to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith, go to I'm new here knowing Christ. The gospel is there. Hey, thanks for your patience. I know it's a little bit longer of a Sunday. I know a lot of you guys wanna start your barbecues for Father's Day, um, but we want you to know that we love you and that we want to honor the, the dads right now, and so it'll only take a minute, but um, Pastor Ethan, come on out. We'll see you.